Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my really good friend, Chris Miles. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. Good to see you again. Great to see you too. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. Hey, always. It's always fun to be able to share with your listeners. Thank you. I love your background. I know people listening in the audio mode, but I can see what it says in the back. Live your life now, not tomorrow. That's a great uh, motto or great uh, way to think about life. Well, it is. I mean, it's a, you know, I recently did a podcast. Um, I kind of had this big epiphany when I was at one of our mastermind groups the other week. And I realized that everybody talks about preparing for your financial future, right? That's always like, how do I prepare for my financial future? How do I have that legacy and that wealth and yada, 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 right? But the one thing I realize is we well, need to prepare for your financial present because if you can manipulate and, and create your financial present where rather than waiting 30 or 40 years to see if your plan worked, what if you could have your plan working this year? Well, you don't have to worry as much about inflation because you know what inflation is like now, right? You can't always prepare or know what it's going to look like, but if you get your financial present in order, you get that in place to where you are financially independent within the next few years versus waiting decades. Well, now you can create a much better financial future anyways. So if you take care of the financial present, the future is going to take care of itself. That's a great argument. Great logic. Of course, you have, you have to enjoy the journey today in order to mm -hmm. uh, be patient to, for tomorrow to come. And, and, and uh, yeah, it makes total sense. I, I don't know how people can plan 30 years out. Like, like how do you plan 30 years out? The brick can fall tomorrow on your head and you can have a problem tomorrow. You have to live in today. So to live your life today, not 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 tomorrow. And and of course, right. you, you want to plan a little bit, but like you're saying, you mm -hmm. got to get your financial plan in order today uh, and live today. So yeah. all we have is now. So if you can figure out how to make now work better for your your future, that's the main thing. So how do you do that? Let, let, let's now talk about kind of financial planning. Some of the things you do in your financial planning. Uh, yeah. Things have been running pretty well recently. Again, um, we are in, 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 in rapidly changing times. We Inflation is, mm -hmm. is, is, is pretty heavy. Uh, interest rates are picking up momentum. We obviously have geopolitical uh, issues. We have war in Ukraine. We have um, a potential recession coming up, uh, which is kind of, we don't want to sing the recession song today. It, we're mm -hmm. in a still period of rapid uh, growth in inflation. Well, people are already beginning to chat about a possible inflation. So you, you, I'll let, let you have the floor, but what are your quick thoughts? Yeah, I definitely think we're heading to a recession. I mean, everything cycles. I mean, if you're around long enough, you know that you know there's everything ebb and flows. There's, there's great times, there's boom times, and there's bust times. And we've gone so long without a bust that you know that that in and of itself is a bubble. You know, when, you know, you go way beyond what's expected uh, for, you know, stock market booming, you know, we've seen like the, you know, just things going rampant, like you said, with inflation, it's, it's definitely, it has to come back into balance. And so to hit a recession shouldn't be a scary thing. However, if you are banking and, and literally calculating, hoping that the stock market is going to keep returning, like it has the last 13 years, you're going to be severely disappointed. <laughs> you know, you're going to find out 
just how bad a stock market can do and what it can actually, what it can create or what kind of chaos can create in your planning. Um, and that's why I call what I do for anti-financial advising, right? Because uh, I'm not looking at doing the traditional mainstream, you know, I call it the Mexican food of financial advice because, you know, you look at Mexican food as, as yummy as it is. Um, the truth is Mexican food is all the same ingredients. It's rice, beans, meat, lettuce, tomatoes, salsa, right? You know, a burrito and a taco have the same ingredients. They're just packaged differently and given a different name. Um, financial advice is no different. It's all securities, mutual funds, and insurances. That's all they offer. There's zero anything else outside of that world. And, and that's the world I came from. I, mean, I started in that world 20 years ago. And, and I can tell you, it just, it doesn't, there's too high of risk and too low returns to really ever guarantee any kind of financial success in that kind of planning, which is why I left in the mid 2000s. And uh, that's why I go more on the alternative side, you know, where we look at things like real estate investing. We look at things like commercial, like doing like syndication with commercial or apartments or self storage or whatever it might be, or even land. You know, we even have clients, you know, now I, heck, I even got a partnership with somebody who does land, you know, like seller financing. And I have a hundred thousand dollars making me $4,800 a month right now, you know, and there's all kinds of things you'd be doing. You could be getting a franchise. If you really, if you had some extra time, you know, five, 10 hours plus a week, you could get a franchise that could generate six figures of cash flow for you each year of profit. You know, there's lots of things you can do outside of that traditional mainstream financial advice that really is just there because they can sell you so much crap. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's why it's, it perpetuates. It hasn't worked, but it perpetuates because you have guys like the Merrill Lynch's and the Fidelities and the Goldman Sachs that are constantly marketing, putting billions of dollars of marketing onto the financial news networks, telling you they are the path. They are the way. Listen to us or just put your money with us and just set it and forget it. Hopefully someday it's going to work out for you. But like we said in the beginning, it's not about someday. It's about today. And so the difference is like when I, you know, I see potential clients come through, you know, um, every time we're talking, I had somebody recently where we looked at their situation. I said, well, okay, if you go based on traditional planning, you'll be lucky if you can hit your income goal. Cause most people have a, some sort of income goal, whether it be 10, 15, 20,000 a month or more. Uh, they had 25,000 a month as a goal. And uh, I said, with financial planning, the traditional way and, and living on 3% of your income or of the, the balance in your, in your retirement plan, you're going to have to save another 20 years, which would put them in their 70s. I said, or right now, with the current resources you have in your 50s, we can start generating about 115000 a year from your money right now. And if we reinvest 115,000, that just bumps up to over, you know, 125,000 next year and keeps bumping up to where we can hit your goal easily within five to 10 years. Um, and that's just something that you just don't hear on the financial news networks because there's no financial company that's paying them billions of dollars to keep advertising that. So that's the thing I get excited about. That's why, I mean, even Mike, I mean, I told my clients about one of your deals, you know, a couple of your deals really. And uh, got them super excited and they were reaching out because they know, said, hey, this, this is good. This is something we can actually plan for because we know what we'll get paid from day one. I mean, that's, that's something you don't get with the financial markets. You don't get that kind of certainty when you're hoping and praying the stock market just happens to smile on you just the right way, especially by the time you hit retirement. This is something you can actually plan for today. I mean, if you can plan and create today, it makes it so much easier to plan for tomorrow too. Chris, thank you kindly for the wisdom. Thank you for the referrals. Uh, we obviously honored and humbled. 
and yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, real estate and many of the deals we bring forward and many other investors on network bring forward have a higher predictability. This is one of the words that I like mm -hmm. to describe real estate. Still no guarantees. There are risks and everything, but predictability is substantially higher than the stock market and uh, yeah. the mutual funds and all the products that the Wall Street sells. And, and as you rightfully pointed out, Wall Street incentives are drastically different from alternative incentives. And as a result, uh, they built the sales machine to push the mm -hmm. product that they have. And the product that they have is primarily driven uh, around the, the stocks and, and, and some level of uh, funds around them uh, and right. heavily incentivized some insurance products or some other products that that sales network can get paid for. And a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff is just, I don't know how to put it, but it's, is designed to feed the Wall Street, not necessarily to serve the, the investors. But that aside, now let's right. jump into more of alternatives and what you do with your folks. So how do you build uh, a well-diversified portfolio? And again, in today's world, when we potentially are thinking about possible recession, I think diversification matters even more because you don't know mm -hmm. what, what's going to correct and what's going to um, do just fine during a sort of a recessionary environment. So how do you work with your clients to help them underwrite deals uh, or, help or uh, learn how to underwrite deals and how to do uh, proper diversification? Let's just cover this topic a little bit. Deal due diligence yeah. and then diversification. Yeah, I think the important thing to always remember, and, and you know this, is that every person is different. Um, every situation is different, even though uh, from a financial number standpoint, a lot of our clients look very similar in some ways, uh, but the person, the people behind the numbers are very different. And so when you're looking at trying to figure out what investments to do, you really should be doing investments that really align with your values and or they actually align with what you want your, your time to look like. Um, what I try to tell people to do is don't just chase the dollars because if you're just chasing money for a paycheck, so to speak, what makes it any different than a job? You know, um, if you're just going after the numbers, like there could be investments that if, if something goes wrong, you might just hate it. You might get mad and angry uh, versus those that you might feel more comfortable with. Even if some, some hiccup happens, you might be able to say, you know what? It's okay. I feel comfortable and confident being in this kind of investment. And that's different for everybody. You know, for example, I mean, I get some clients that that love having rental properties and that's, and they feel safe and secure having rentals. Great. Let's make sure they have good cash flow. We don't, we don't try to hope for appreciation, right? I don't like people to live on hopium. You know, we don't want them to, <laughs> to be uh, on that drug. Uh, we really want people to, to really have, you know, something that is like you said, predictable. They can be, you know, more predictable in that sense and steady. And so, so that could be great. It could be long-term rentals, but just know that there's a risk there too, because even though that can give you some great certainty, you have hundred percent ownership. There's no middleman between you. You can have a property manager obviously helping you out, but the property manager could drop the ball. Things can happen where there's vacancies or they're not paying. I have that with a renter right now, where they're trying to apply for getting some government assistance to help with the pain, the rent, you know, those kind of things can create hiccups. You know, there's could be maintenance issues. You know, those things aren't fun. Now, are the returns, can they be awesome? Yeah, they can be great. And I can get better returns there than most other investments that I do. But it's not going to be fully passive. Where I get other people that say, I'm overwhelmed. I can't deal with anything that's going to distract me. Okay, if that's the case, let's not look at rentals as much. 
let's look more towards syndications or funds, things like that, where they can actually have money coming in, but they're hands off. And here's the warning. If they do do that, and I do want them to be diversified to some level, I believe you can be overly diversified where it creates too much of a distraction. Um, I do have one client right now who has about 50 different investments as in five zero. Um, the tracking on it is horrible and even worse for his wife, who's afraid that when he passes on, she'll have no way to be able to manage it all. Um, I did tell him, I said, hey, trying to go for $25,000 or $50,000 positions in each little fund might not be serving you very well. But let's, as that money does get paid back out from those deals, let's maybe instead do 100 or 200, 250,000 per deal, right? right. And find the, the, your favorite operators, the favorite people you like to work with. Because the thing I'll tell people is, when it comes to investing in funds, like we see Tempo Fund here or, or any other kind of syndication, anything where there's somebody else doing the investing, what's most important is who is that person that's doing the investing? Who is their team? Do they invest in it themselves? Do they trust in it that they're willing to put their own money in it? And then I'd say four is, of course, when really when their feet are held to the fire, when things go wrong, you know, what is their integrity like? Um, that's why I love investing with people that invested during the last recession. You know, if they kept paying their investors, heck, I even know some that got burned badly and lost money on deals. But if they learned and they were able to adjust their strategy to be able to say, hey, I learned where I went wrong. Now I can do it much better and wiser this time around. Great. Um, I trust those people way more than somebody who just said, hey, 2018, I joined the wave, you know, this real estate wave, and I'm going to invest your money because I've made money twice so far. Um, I'm not going to trust those people nearly as much as those with a track record that had a track record of trying to do everything possible to pay their investors and to do the right thing and to not really be overly uh, optimistic. You know, they, they, they expect the best, but they still really prepare for the worst. They want to make sure that worst case scenario, they can stress test their deals and know that they still can be profitable. They can still pay their investors back. And so, I mean, those, I guess that was probably about four or five key areas, but when it really comes to that, it's, you know, yeah, I want to be diversified to some level, but most importantly is who am I investing with? I'd rather invest with few people that I know or have good integrity than try to spread out all of my investments to 20 different operators and hoping that something sticks and some, you know, and some might not. So my comment on that is great minds think alike. <laughs> so I think the same way or very, very similarly to what you said, it, it, it's actually a lot of wisdom in uh, your philosophy and sort of your feedback to your uh, clients. Number one, uh, of course, we always, 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 always think about who we invest with first. This is the number one requirement. You can't even look at the deal as a syndication or a fund or whatnot. You have to know, like, and trust whoever you're investing mm -hmm. with. You have to get that level of comfort that they can solve problems, they communicate well, they have high integrity, they have ability, they have skills, they have, I don't want to call them recession-proof features, but they certainly yeah. prepared for a uh, recession in not ideal times, right? And once mm -hmm. you establish that, you can obviously uh, underwrite which deals you want to invest in and what checks to write. That's a starting point. The other really important point you mentioned, and I love this, because we, we solve a lot of these very similar problems. As a fund manager, we solve many problems individual investors have to solve. One of them is how much diversification is too much. So do you write 10 checks? Do you write 20 checks? Do you write 80 checks? Right? And when you do write 80 checks or 60 checks, you wind up exactly with a problem 
you have a massive portfolio to manage. The portfolio management becomes an aggravation. So yep. one investment, it's one thing to manage, right? Every mm -hmm. new investment, it's another thing. It, to track the taxes, the, yep. the uh, statements, the updates. So you, you have to be pretty small, smart about it. You have to balance return on investment versus the return on effort. So you can't mm -hmm. have too many investments because of exactly the problem that you hit. You have so much work managing the portfolio. It, it becomes an overhead expense. Either it's, it, it's an expense somebody to manage it or your time. You, instead of enjoying your life today, you, mm -hmm. you're managing a whole bunch of investments, at least on paper. So You have another uh, job. Yeah, it's another job. And and I would I, I would agree with you 100% on that. And um when folks invest, they really have to think about what are they investing in. If you invest in a diversified vehicle, a diversified fund, you immediately can write one bigger check into one investment that spreads the risk right. among many others, right? That's a number one. Number two, um, there, you, you achieve instant diversification and you, 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 you still manage only one investment. From that perspective, it makes a big difference. On the other mm -hmm. side, you may have, Sort of, if you think about this, how do people build a portfolio? At least in my philosophy, you could build it with a few building blocks. What are these building blocks in alternative investments? And this is, by the way, this could be true with the Wall Street too, with stocks. But your, your number one building blocks are diversified funds, right? Alternative funds, diversified real estate funds. But they become yeah. the foundation because a single investment spreads the risk among many. Then block number two, just quickly covering, is kind of your single strategy funds. If you like storage or you like multifamily, you get diversification, but within a given vertical. Number three, you yeah. go into one-off deals. It's either syndication or turnkeys. But let, let's continue this whole discussion. Now we're jumping into turnkeys and syndications. There's one thing mm -hmm. that's really impacting uh, all real estate today, uh, rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. So let me just yeah. shift this conversation into that discussion. So we've seen a lot of movement in the 10-year treasury, which impacts the mortgage rates on single-family, multifamily. And also, we've seen, obviously, Fed take in action in the two-year treasury moving quite a bit. And mm -hmm. as of uh, last Friday, April 1st, we're recording this on April 4th. But on Friday, yield curve inverted. Technically, 10-year treasury yield was lower than a two-year treasury yield, which, mm -hmm. can, which signals your classic yield curve inversion. Uh, and uh, there's another follow-up, immediate follow-up um, thought is that typically after yield curve inverts, recession uh, follows, not always, but yeah. typically six to 24 months from this point on. So what mm -hmm. do you think about what, what's the impact of rising interest rates on all alternative investing uh, and especially the folks that you work with and um, the likelihood of inflation, I'm sorry, the likelihood of recession and um, yeah. How fearful do you have to be of the recession? Yeah, I'll address that last one first. Uh, definitely, I think there's a recession coming, and uh, and it could easily be in the latter half of this year. I, I agree with you. It could be easily six months out. Uh, we could see that finally reverse. You know, we saw it threaten to do it in 2020, but then with all that artificial printing of money and everything propping it up, creating more of a bubble of the dollar, really, right? Um, that inflation bubble is is something that is going to create some issues. And it, and it already is. I mean, we already seen people have affordability issues, uh, even just on a micro scale, you know, where I'm hearing more and more investors saying, yep, I'm hearing renters, even renters in the middle class, having a harder time trying to make their payments. Um, that could affect uh, things with rents. 
and I'm not saying that's the majority, but we're starting to hear more of these cases more and more. And this, this isn't, this is after everything's reopened, right? We, we heard this course in the beginning 2020, but now we're starting to hear people again say, Ooh, things are a little bit tight. I don't know how I'm going to do this because my food cost has skyrocketed 10 plus percent in the last year. Um, and plus everything else and utilities are going up and everything is happening there. Um, and so coming back to that, I mean, now we have interest rates rising too, which have been great. And that's helped the real estate market just drive up the values high, hard and fast. But uh, there's going to be a point where I think we'll, I don't think we'll see like a big decrease in, in real estate values overall. I think there'll be pockets of the country that will see that. But I think uh, we'll probably see what will happen. Now we'll start to see those prices settle. So people that are banking on appreciation, those that are really trying to flip properties and they're getting lazy on how they're buying their deals because they're not buying them cheap. They're just saying, well, by the time I sell it, it's going to be worth more anyways. I can make money. It makes, you know, that when you have that kind of sloppiness, it's, it's like what Warren Buffett says. It's when the tide rolls back, you find out who's swimming naked. And I, th I feel like the tide's going to roll back and you're going to see who, who really is swimming naked, who's going to have the issues. Um, I'll tell you even from my own personal experience with rentals, right? Like, uh, we were just talking about this with a mortgage broker last week where, um, we were initially quoted, of course, a lower rate last November, November rates were great. I mean, uh, for yeah. example, the typical <laughs> investor, you know, 30 year fixed mortgage would be about 3.75%. Well, we check again and guess what? It's about five and a quarter or more for, uh, for that same property. Now, just what, you know? three, five months later, you know, five months later, now we're looking at, and then most of this happened just in the last month or two. So if you haven't done anything with interest rates the last couple of months, you probably even realize that mortgage rates now have skyrocketed up past 5% for investment properties. And it's well into the fours for your own house. Um, this is why even with planning, I've been telling people instead of just, you know, trying to get like a, a cash out refinance, we've been looking more like HELOCs and people might say, yeah, but HELOCs going to go up too. I said, it is. But that interest only payment, it would have to go up to like 7% on your HELOC to finally hit what you would currently be paying on that 30 year fixed. That buys you some time to at least create some profit and make some more money off your money in the meantime. Uh, and that's the same thing. If you have rentals right now and you're going to think about maybe 1035ing into another rental property, you might hold off for a bit just because rents haven't quite caught up to the, what's going on with the interest rates. Uh, I, I'll tell you the cash flow on those same new construction deals we're looking at went from 13% cash on cash now down to like an eight and a half percent cash on cash, just because the interest rates alone. So it gets you to cause and reflect, pause and reflect and wonder, okay, is this really, you know, good timing? Do we wait for rates to settle? That's one thing we're waiting to do is we're not locking any rates right now. We're actually waiting it. Cause I think it will pull back a little bit in within reason, but you never know. I mean, things could keep going up and, and that could ruin some, some cash flow plays that you have. Yeah, let's continue exploring this this idea on the cash flow front. So the rising uh, short-term interest rates and obviously long-term are substantially impacted immediate, impacting immediate cash flow. Like you mm -hmm. said, if you had a property on the contract and you were planning to close even a month and a half ago, and now you're coming to a closing table and you didn't lock the rate, you are up for a bad surprise. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you look at the 10-year treasury and two-year treasury from March 1st mm -hmm. until effectively April 1st, they moved a lot. The two-year yeah. treasury moved over 100 basis points and uh, well above 100 basis points, over 1%. And a, and a three, uh, sorry, the 10-year treasury moved three quarters uh, 
approximately yeah. three quarters basis points. Uh, and the problem is because of the, not just the move itself, but the speed of the move, how fast mm-hmm. it happened it, yep. it is, is unsettling lenders. So like you said, right now, lenders overcorrected and they bumped up all the rates because they don't know if they originate today, what are they going to sell the paper tomorrow? Because most right. of them need to originate and sell. And if they can't sell it tomorrow, they're going to have a problem. So they, they're overcorrecting with offering the interest rates substantially higher where they, they should be if they just basically follow a two-year treasury and the, the, the debt spread, as they call it, the delta between yeah. mortgage rates and the, the 10-year treasury. But let's go mm-hmm. into cash flow. So yeah, uh, turnkeys and obviously other investments that are sensitive to the interest rate. In the short run, you can't raise mm-hmm. rents fast enough, right? You, you have to yeah. basically compute based on what you're paying today, or if you have to refinance, what the interest rate is going to be at a refinance point, mm-hmm. that your debt service is going to be substantially higher. And because yeah. these things trade on such a basically margin, even a little increase in the interest rate substantially impacts the cash flow. You can have that interest rate increase could have just cut the cash flow, like you said, by 30, 40%. Mm-hmm. So how do you still invest? Do you still feel comfortable investing, even though the rates have moved up? Um, if they're going to continue to move up, for, for the next investor, for the next buyer of the property, their, their cash and cash is even going to get worse. So yeah. what's, why, why, why people are still thinking, hey, I still want to invest. Do you think the rents increases will offset uh, the interest rates, higher costs of debt? Eventually. Yeah, I, I think usually see rents will adjust every six to 12 months, you know, when it comes to something like this happening where it could be like, from, from inflation, you know, whether it's something driving prices up so that eventually gradually uh, there's a lag effect where rent prices will tend to follow whatever is going on in your own life too. So if prices are going up, then the rent will follow upward. If uh, interest rates go up and gets more expensive, taxes go up, whatever changes, you're going to have to adjust it. All investors are going to have to adjust to make it affordable. Otherwise it's not worth the deal. Um, but it does take time. So you could look at it as more, if you're looking more of a longer term play, then you might not be worried at all. You might say, this is fine. It's going to balance out. That just means rent's going to have to go up again um, to a degree. Um, I, I think this would be, I think the cautionary tale would be if you're looking at uh, places, uh, particular real estate properties where they maybe are attracting more of a, an upper middle class, upper class type, type of buyer where there's less buyers there, I think that would be risky. Because whenever there's an affordability factor, which I see is that affordability bubble we're having, right? Where people are realizing it's the inflation is eating their cash away. If you're in that higher rent uh, percentage for the area, you could be at high risk versus be on the lower, more affordable type of place. This is why, you know, the, the buzz term of affordable housing and affordable apartment building is so important, you know, because that's really what people are looking for is, Hey, do I have to downsize? And in any any recession, when they downsize, that you want to be the one that they downsize into your rental, um, versus you know someone who's had this this perfect, beautiful rental that looks great, but then there's there's hardly a market to buy it or to rent it, and now you're having to lower your rent prices to adjust it. So, if you are looking to rent uh, and you're looking for a long term strategy, just know to keep it on the lower end. You know, I'm not saying bottom feeder. Don't go for the uh, the Detroit inner city bullet hole ridden type places. Um, I'm talking about more like you might be looking at places that are around the hundred to two hundred thousand dollar range, you know, um, maybe not much more than two hundred thousand or so, or a quarter million, depending on the area. But uh, really keep it in a place where the rents are going to be right about average or just under, uh, so that you know you've got a plenty of a, a of a market that will compete for that that price. 
Yeah, I love it, Chris. It's it's the substitution effect effect as affordability uh, yeah. gets worse uh, due to the higher interest rates. Uh, mm-hmm. Substitution effect takes folks from more expensive property to less expensive property, and those who can't really buy anymore because the affordability got hurt, maybe they'll rent instead. So demand yeah. for rental typically increases when you have worse affordability to buy. That's that's the first, and then the second thing is substitution to uh, good quality, but less uh, expensive, more affordable type of a product. Uh, so it makes total sense. I'm, I'm completely in agreement that the affordable or workforce housing generally does well, excluding the, let's just call it the really rough product, the class mm-hmm. D and C. I would say yeah. the product has to stay with a B minus or better type of a product so that you can uh, have a relatively easy to manage type of investment and you, you want to stay away from the lower end of the spectrum. But we, we're, we're on the same page there. So yeah. um, continue, let's, let's continue exploring a little bit. And we, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll, we'll keep chatting a little bit. So mm-hmm. let's cover a couple of other interesting points that um, I know you are super uh, specialist in. You, you do whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. This is part of what you offer, part of the infinite banking, which is a great yep. concept, love the concept. And um, how does that change or what, what's new in that industry versus uh, before with rising interest rates? Um, is this something that obviously folks can borrow against their policy, anything new over there, and anything else is happening out, out there? And how's it? How's whole life, how, how's ability to borrow against whole life different from uh, borrowing against universal life? Just a very technical question, but would love to hear your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, I mean, definitely with whole life, there's a lot of certainty. Um, just again, we like predictability, right? As any investor likes, we want predictability. We want to make sure we can control our our returns. Uh, and whole life is definitely that way. Now, now you don't control the return of the whole life policy because the insurance company does that. But when you know you make at least a three, four percent minimum guarantee, and in most companies right now, even even the lowest interest rate environment, although it's starting to shift now, um, even in a low interest rate environment, they've been paying between like five and a half and six percent typically. Um, which is really good considering that's tax-free money coming to you too. So there's no taxes. You only have to report it to your tax return. One thing I do love. Um, just from that standpoint, it's a good place to store and harbor cash, right? But we don't stop there because we look at this as not just a way to store and harbor cash and put it away long-term like most insurance people try to teach you to do. But instead, this is money we can be able to utilize to invest. Now you can withdraw the money, but if you withdraw the money, you pull the money out, it doesn't make any interest inside the whole life anymore. You're just making money in that investment, which is what most people do with savings. Well, what we do instead is we can get a line of credit against the cash that's in there using the cash as collateral, get a line of credit against it, whether it be from the insurance company or certain specialized banks to take that money and use that to go and invest elsewhere. And here's what happens is because, you know, I even had a client recently, he was a dentist that he went to his credit union, found out they would give him a line of credit at 3.75% against his cash. Now, remember, he's making about a net 5% tax-free on this money already. He's borrowing at 3.75. He's making a 1.25% spread. And he's still taking that money and investing it to make money over here too. So if he would have normally just made 10% on that investment, well, guess what? Now you're making, you know, 11.25 for doing nothing more than what you would normally done from a savings account. It's like free money for you. 
Um, there's even banks right now. I, I got a line of credit set up with one. Um, I actually just did a podcast with one of these these banks. Uh, this one's called the Bank Corp, or the Bank Corp. I guess it's, it's like one word: B A N C O R P. Um, but with them, I can get it as low as three percent right now. Um, now it floors at three percent. It is based on Prime. So as the Feds do raise rates, which they will do, um, it does raise that that rate as well. But the nice thing is that the more I have in cash value, if you have at least in that case, 68,000 with them, there's other banks that are like 50,000 minimum. But if you have at least that much in cash available, you can start getting these other bank loans at a much cheaper rate than the insurance companies, which are right around five or 6% right now for their loan rates. So I'm getting around 3%. And even as they raise rates, the more cash value I have, the better the, the rate they give me anyways. So you know, I'm creating this 2% spread while investing that money elsewhere and, uh, and doing a great job with it. Oh, and here's, here's another point too with those raising rates. Even if the rates do rise on the loan side, remember that most of the time insurance companies, when they're paying you your dividend, they're investing in treasuries, bonds, things that are interest rate laden, right? So when rates go up, that's actually good for you because pre, you know, right around 2000, Y2K, even in the 90s, they were paying about 10% plus because rates were much higher back then. It's only been the last 10, 15 years because rates came down with the last recession that they've paid right around, you know, five to 6%, depending on the company. So if I hear you correctly, uh, it is probable that the new policies issued with the insurance companies with rising interest rates will pay more uh, return on the policies, on the whole life policies with high interest rate environment. The insurance company is a start for yield when they can't find places to put to deploy the cash, mm -hmm. they can't pay investors as much. So as interest rate right. Right, interest rates rise, insurance companies generally can get a higher rate of return on that money. And as a result, they're able to pay investors. So if you exactly. haven't thought about getting a whole life policy, <laughs> now is the time to reach out to Chris and to talk to him. It's a very powerful concept. We were just chatting uh, before that universal life versus whole life. Um, universal life is tied to the stocks and you can borrow as well against universal as you can borrow against whole life. In many ways, yeah. whole life is a better product to get that uh, access to cash uh, based on the uh, cash value of your policy versus the universal life. Any other quick comments on that? Yeah, like, I, you know, it's funny because you listen from a banker's perspective, right? Bankers like to take low risk too. They're, they are investors. And when they look at universal life, they see risk. Because even if you don't get a, you know, if even you get an index universal life where they don't go below 0%, still because of rising insurance costs, you could still lose money on the cash value side. So they won't lend against it. You know, in fact, they have a hard time wanting to ever lend against those kind of policies. Um, so when you have people talking about infinite banking, they're saying, yeah, but don't use whole life. It's boring. Use index universal life because look at the stock market the last 13 years. Well, I have, and this would be the worst time to get in the stock market right now is to have something tied to a stock market right when it starts going down. And then you realize it's not performing the way you thought. And that's why I even stopped selling them in the early well, mid 2000s when I stopped selling universal life as much for that very reason. So you got to be careful just because it, the, the brochure looks good doesn't mean the reality is going to be going to match up to it. Yeah, it makes sense. I totally agree with you. And the whole life, it's basically a pretty safe part of your portfolio. And that's something that uh, is both life insurance and a saving mechanism and an access to liquidity. So it's so powerful. That's why they call it infinite banking or part of your self-banking by, by having a good whole life policy. So just to, we're kind of running out of time, but any uh, final thoughts, comments? Uh, how would folks uh, reach out to you? 
if they will want to talk about again infinite banking, when they want to talk about getting some help diversifying their portfolio or getting into alternatives, because this is what you do. You're anti-Wall Street mm-hmm. investor and uh and you you're an expert in those things. And um most investors could benefit by working with someone like you or you, not someone like you, with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. You know, not to not to be uh, you know, not to be egotistical, but yeah, we, we're awesome at what we do. And that's, that's the point, you know, is that we really do good with the planning side and we do great with the infinite banking side to get that max ROI possible. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say the final thoughts are just this, is that um, even with an impending recession coming, it, it's going to happen one way or the other. It's not a matter if, it's when, and it's overdue and it's, it's time to hit. Well, regardless of that, this is why you should be tuning into shows just like this, because we, we can't always predict which month it's going to happen, but as time goes on, clues come out. And when you have a good, strong team around you, when you have people that are got their finger on the pulse, they know what's going on in the marketplace and that sort of thing, it gives you more confidence to be able to know, okay, I can prepare a little bit. And so this is not something to be afraid of. If anything, there's going to be opportunities coming no matter what time we're in. The question is, do you, are you surrounded by the right people and the right voices Versus the gamblers out there, they're telling you to keep putting money in the stock market because that's what's hot right now. And you want to stay away from that stuff. Um, so, I mean, you can do that. You can follow us. Um, you can follow our company, Money Ripples. You can go to our website, moneyripples.com. And any questions you have, if you want to chat with us to see if what kind of cash flow you can create, you can just go right on the Contact Us page. We even have a passive income calculator that can t- actually calculate for you pretty accurately uh, within a few thousand dollars how much money you can make in the next 12 months passively. So we've got that on the website there. And of course, we have our show, the podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show that you can find on YouTube or iTunes or anywhere. That's awesome, Chris. Appreciate your wisdom. Thank you for sharing moneyripples.com. And uh, let folks learn from your wisdom through your uh, podcast and just reach out and chat. And yeah, I I, I happen to agree that one of the most um, dangerous things, by the way, for stock market is rising interest rates. Most people don't realize it. Mm -hmm. But rapid yeah. increase in interest rates is like uh, salt on a wound of um, technology companies or heavily leveraged balance sheet companies because the debt service on their on their um, payments on, on the debt that they owe goes up immediately. But mm-hmm. revenues is not that easy to be able to adjust revenues, uh, especially the companies that don't have big install base. Like correct this joke, the McDonald's of the world, they're always going to do fine. Even if the interest rates go up, they just increase the uh, price of the burger a little bit. And most people, <laughs> they substitute from the expensive food to the McDonald's of the world as, as a kind of as a substitution effect. People don't necessarily yeah. go out and buy a lot more junk, but uh, they, they get obviously more sensitive to paying more even for uh, basic staples and necessities. Um, but so interest rates is, is something that the stock market can actually take it on the chin can take it on the chin sooner rather than later, uh, a lot faster than, than, than anything else. But it is what it is. It's had a great run. And recessions are good because they clear out, like you said, Warren Buffett's uh, once the, uh, <laughs> when the tide um, comes down, the, the people who are swimming naked will, uh, will be visible. And that's what the recessions are for, is to, is to clear out uh, that, 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 that type of uh, market and those type of uh, uh, players. So... Thank you for your wisdom. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'd love to have you back again. This was awesome. And uh, 
folks, please reach out to Chris, moneyripples.com. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to bigmikefun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike Slotnick. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.